0: What's up, gang? What day is it today? It is uh, Wednesday, June 3rd, 2015. This is the promotional malpractice live chat here on MMAfighting.com. Uh, today on the podcast, we'll talk about, to the extent you care at all, UFC Fight Night 68. Uh, I looked through the questions already. There was like two questions about it, so not that much. But whatever. It's your chat as much as it is mine, so we'll talk about that. If you have any questions about UFC Fight Night 67, which just happened, we'll get to that as well. And of course... I mean, how can we not talk about it? The UFC, uh, what is it, uh, Athlete Marketing and Development Presser? Um, I have no idea what it had to do with marketing, <laughs> but it had a lot to do with a lot of other things, including anti-doping and um, some kind of attempt to curtail the amount of injuries and, and to share best practices and, and many, many other things. So lots to get to. Actually, kind of an important day in mixed martial arts, depending on how you... Perceive things. Uh, Best way to do that, of course, is on MMAFighting.com where this window will be embedded. If you want to give it a thumbs up, that'd be cool. Um, And uh, let folks know you're watching. Get on Twitter, get on a thousand little places, get on social media, get on Facebook, and uh, share this window, share the post that this window is in. Do what you can. That would be ever so helpful. Um, And of course, the comments on MMA Fighting that turn green get priority, but not exclusivity. Okay, so. We are live, which means I need to move down and see what uh, questions there are. Okay, so before we get to any of these questions, I normally make this chat just about what you ask, but given what's happened today, let's go over briefly kind of what this presser was all about. Um, So the UFC came out with their UFC Athlete Marketing and Development Program. They debuted Jeff Nowitzki who uh, was sort of famous in the anti-doping world. Here's their stated anti-doping policy objective. The policy is a central part of UFC's expanded efforts to protect the health and safety of its athletes and also to protect their right to compete on a level playing field. UFC's goal for this policy is to have the best anti-doping program in all of professional sport. Um, with that, USADA will do 365 year-round testing. They're going to be doing testing at such a clip that, on average, some will have more, some will have less, Uh, fighters will be tested five and a half times a year. That's just what the average works out to. So five or six, depending on how you wish to round. Um, This will include blood and urine. Some of the penalties are rather stiff. First offense, this is what, okay, so um, as defined by the WADA code, now they're not a WADA code signatory, but anabolic steroids, growth hormone, peptides, blood-doping drugs and methods, blah, 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 uh, will be tested for in and out of competition. For out for in competition, it'll be include six hours prior to the weigh-ins and then six hours after the event. Um, they are having harsh penalties for um, drugs of recreation that get caught, but if they're doing blood testing and they're doing it in competition, I'm a little less uh, I'm a little less concerned about it, right? I mean, if you are smoking weed six hours or two hours before your weigh-in you might have, there might be some problems there, right? So um, so I'm, 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 I'm less concerned with that. I still think it's ridiculously punitive, but that's not a hill I wish to die on. However, for any first offense related to anabolic steroids, growth hormones, peptides, blah, blah, blah. First offense, two years with the possibility for four years for aggravating circumstances. The second offense will be double the sanction of the first offense, and the third offense will be double the sanction of the second offense. So we're talking about... Um, you know, potentially 16-year ban, right? I mean, if it actually came to that, I mean, I doubt that would work exactly, but mathematically, that's possible. Um, anyway, so you get the idea, rather severe bans. Now, it seems like it'll be two, and then two turn to four, and four might turn into eight, and then eight, you're basically a career killer at that point, but, um, but you get the idea. So that's what they're working with here. Um, the policy will go into effect in July. It'll be global, um, Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot going on here. Now um, they also they announced some other stuff at the at the UFC uh, pressers. To be fair to them, they announced things like a UFC lab that they're building, which fighters can. It'll be a training facility, but also a rehabilitative facility. So if you are training for a fighter just in town or training generally, it's a place you can go to. And according to them, I think they're still working out some of the details, but it sounded like a place where you can get state of the art training. Um, and also if you have, um, you know, uh, an injury, state of the art rehabilitation. So it will be like rehabilitative services. And then part of that is not just, you know, you do this and, and we'll tell you what to do, but sort of education about what has to happen and how to, how to, uh, how to, how to treat these injuries properly, how to have long-term, you know, uh, how to treat your body better long-term. There were a couple of other things they announced, too, that they were partnering with these two companies, one called Fusionetics and another called Exos. Um, Fusionetics sounds like they're more on the rehabilitation side. Exos sounds like they're more, and I, we'll dig into this as time goes on. I'm only giving you the immediate reactions, which are you know going to be very incomplete. Uh, Exos, spelled E-X-O-S, sounds like more performance enhancement. Of course, legal performance enhancement, but performance enhancement nonetheless Where they teach you the proper way to stretch and nutrition and the latest in innovation and techniques and cooling down and everything you need to train your body in the optimal way which includes both for maximum performance the maximum performance within the boundaries of um safety within the boundaries of you know considerations for your health both short term and long term it sounds like fusionetics is a way to go to them and say look here's what's ailing me here are problems that I'm constantly running into, they can sort of diagnose perhaps what you're doing wrong, even maybe to some extent on the performance side, and then give you a plan in place to to, ail, or to cure some of those things. Um, more will come out about that. So uh, they're also announced they were doing more, uh, they sort of reiterated their relationship with the Cleveland Clinic, doing a brain study where they're trying to discover two things. One, is it the case that some people are predisposed to traumatic brain injury? If so, what are those markers? And then two, is there a way to detect early signs of brain injury? You know, most of the time by the time you see signs outwardly that we recognize there's been a ton of damage that's been wreaked, been erect on someone's brains. So they're trying to decide or figure out, is there a way to perhaps um, figure out some of these things ahead of time? And if so, um, how to do that best. And, And, you know, just like they mentioned, just like you go to get your license in the various states, you know, you have to pass an eye screening or you know, something like that, that you'd have to have a brain screening as well. And that's often the distant future, but the, the plan, the hope would be in a perfect world that, um, you know, if you don't pass the brain screening, because you have all these, you know, past injuries or you have, let's say a marker that indicates you are susceptible to brain injury, that, um, that, uh, you wouldn't be able to get a license. It could effectively end your career. Now that's in the interest of your health and safety, but, um, okay. So the fusion stuff is interesting. The exo stuff is interesting. The UFC lab stuff could be very, very interesting, uh, depending on how things go. It's part of a larger comprehensive effort, on the one hand, to police anti-doping, and on the other hand, to think, cut down on the number of injuries. If The idea is if you can teach fighters how to train properly, and not just fighters, but their teams as well, right? Uh, if everyone understands what the best thing is to do, what a safe practice looks like, what a hard but a safe practice looks like, um, what in and uh, out uh, what regular body maintenance looks like, um, then the idea and the hope is that you can cut down on injuries. We'll see if that works. I, I'm not here to say that it won't work. I don't know that we have enough information. I'm a big believer that more money would work uh, for athlete pay because then they could create a camp where, like boxers, they could create a camp around themselves, and therefore um, you know, they wouldn't have to spar with number six and seven and, and three guys in the world on a regular basis. But uh, okay, neither here nor there. The drug testing program is the really interesting one, the one that everyone is sort of like up in arms about or very happy about, depending on your perspective. I, have, I, I am of, of, of mixed opinion on this one. I think on the one hand, I think we've all known that the system that was in place was, um, you know, not a real plan one way or the other. That it, it if you were using, it was fairly easy to get caught or excuse me, it was fairly easy to not get caught. It was fairly easy to use, uh, which isn't to say that people just skated by, but um, it, it was just, you know, uh, we've all known it has been more of a, as it has been said, a more of an IQ test than an actual test for um, use. So what do we make of the new policy that's going into effect? Um, I don't know. I guess, I guess what I've always thought was that, I don't know. I think my thought is that if you're going to go all the way, right? If you say to yourself as an organization, are we gonna put a plan in place that basically has the elements we need um, to have the kind, the breadth and depth of testing and control required to properly test and punish in ways that um, is comprehensive enough to test all the fighters or all the athletes, And is punitive enough and appropriately punitive uh, as a measure of deterrence? um, Let's see what it looks like. Does it work? Right. That's the big question. Does it work? There's so much argument being passed around where they say if you're tested all the time and you know these penalties are so severe, like first time, two years out, that kind of thing, that this this will work. This will deter use. Um, I don't really know that that's true or not. I don't, I'm not saying it's not true. I'm just not saying this. We, we don't really know. We don't really know. There's not a ton of evidence to suggest that it is partly because no sports organization has really gone this far. Um, the Olympics is a unique circumstance because it's sort of, it's a, it's a single event goes over the course of a few weeks, but it's once every four years, you know, there's, there is testing in between those periods, of course, but, um, it's just not the same as competing on a regular basis, um, all over the world, for a sp- for a professional sports organization. I mean, ultimately, the ultimately it's supposed to be that the Olympics are still um, amateurs, but you know we know that's not the case anymore. Anyway, um, so is it going to work? I don't know. We're going to find out, right? We're going to find out. they got they're, the the way to successfully say that this has been what we hoped it would be was if you can find a way to outright deter use and how you measure that exactly is not totally clear at this point, but that's the only way it works. If you're just punishing people over and over and over again and there's no real measurable impact on the reduced rate of usage, then it's not working, right? I mean, You can say, oh, we're punishing cheaters, but the goal is not to punish cheaters. That is something you have to do The goal is to rid use. That's the goal, right? Because they even said that we we don't want to punish anyone. Um, What we want to do is have a system in place that figures out that if you are cheating, you get caught. But the hope is that no one is cheating. That's that's the goal is that everyone is a clean athlete. It protects, as they say, the rights of clean athletes as such. Um, We're going to find out. We're going to find out. If it works, Um, and that may take a couple of years. It may take more than a couple of years to figure that out. It's nothing you can figure out immediately. In fact, I still think in the short run, you know, these athletes are just going to take insane amounts of risk and then end up um, in a bad place when when they get caught. That's certainly the short run for me. So what does this mean for organizations like Bellator, which still defer to... um, you know, athletic commission testing, which we all know to be woefully inadequate. You know what's funny about this debate for years was like if you guys have been covering MMA for so long as I have, you know, there's been people covering it longer than me, but certainly during my time, there was a there was a key point where like UFC was really uh, against the idea of going over the head of athletic commissions and now they're doing it. Like what took so long? Right? If this was I mean, whether you're in favor of it or not. I always thought that like why, I, I wrote about this at the time when I was working on bloody elbow, I was, I would write like, what is so hard about acknowledging that whatever the athletic commission is doing is clearly like, it's just such a cheap facsimile of what you want testing to, to be. If you are truly a believer in anti-doping uh, maybe you're not, but if you are, I, you know, it doesn't even come anywhere close to what you want. And so um, my, my, theory at the time was that they didn't want to undermine athletic commissions because they were viewed as this like third party validator. Uh, you know, we're regulated by the government sort of thing. And I don't know what's happened. Maybe athletic commissions have really come under scrutiny in the last few years and um, not all of them, but I don't, I don't know that they held, I don't, I don't know that it's such an effective talking point anymore when the I'm regulated or we're regulated by the government argument is like badly undermined when, you know, arguably the best fighter of all time is, has a uh, array of drugs in his system. Uh, and not just him, but numerous others as well. So I don't know. I don't know what happened, but clearly there was a mental shift there. I, I, I'll dig up the post, man. I, I distinctly recall them being like, we're not, like the athletic commission is where the buck stops, which is sort of what Coker says now about Bellator. And clearly it's just like, it, you know, if Bellator doesn't have the money in the sense that Viacom has the money, but does Viacom want to dump more money into Bellator before Bellator is financially solvent? That's sort of the issue here. Um, you, you know, I, I don't know what they're going to do. But it's just really, it's it's, it's like curious that they, that they finally sort of came around to this when it was obviously a problem years ago. But anyway, uh, we'll see what's going to happen, man. Look, I am a little bit concerned about it. I don't know what it's going to do to the sport. I don't think even they really know what it's going to do to the sport if they do everything they say they're going to do, will it clean it up in the sense that it will deter use? It very well might. Will it deter some use, but not enough to justify its ongoing implementation? Seems possible to me. Will it not deter use at all um, and really sort of wreck people's careers? I don't think it'll do that. I, I, I think that's probably a bit too much of an extreme of a position to adopt, but I do wonder whether it will be effective enough i do wonder not saying it won't be i'm in no way saying it won't be i'm just articulating some thoughts about what we know about how to deter how to deter use um for performance enhancing drugs in sport Um, and and whether being this vigilant and this punitive about it um, actually works we'll see other things to consider that I know are not at the forefront of the minds of MMA fans, but certainly at the forefront of my mind. Um, I don't know where they get the authority to do this when they're independent contractors. Man, I've been reading about this like every day on every piece of literature that I can. I've been reading about the economic realities tests and the Fair Standard and Labor Act. Uh, Fair Standards Labor Act. Um, I've been reading about you know the, the the twenty point test the IRS uses. I've been reading about various cases. Uh, of independent contractors who have sued to be reclassified. And and the, the truth is we will never know what UFC athletes are until this is challenged in court. But if they they can't collectively bargain until they are employees. And once they become employees, if and when that ever happens, and who knows if it will. Um do you think a fighters union, a real one, would ever allow this stuff to happen? <laughs> Not in a million years, man. Not in a million years. You know? And I've been hard on the fighters because I've been I've been one of these guys, it's just so frustrating for them to like, you know, they don't know what to do, right? So when the Reebok stuff comes, they get mad, but they don't know what to do. And when they sign away their likeness rights in perpetuity, which I still cannot believe is a thing, they don't know what to do. So they just they just do it. And when um, and when this anti-doping thing comes around you may be unsympathetic to their needs but m- my only point about this is the only reason this policy is happening is because the fighters have not had any say about it and you say well they shouldn't have any say about it oh they should the fighters shouldn't have a say about what workplace conditions are 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 ascribed to them when they are the product that is being used uh, that seems to me a very silly argument right on its face it's a ridiculous argument. Um, Um, and of course they're not going to have the incentive to have this level of scrutiny, uh, over them, but you know, uh, it just, it's simplistic to be like, well, the fighters need to to get out there and organize. And I've made that argument in frustrations at times. I have, I've been guilty of it at the same time though. If you're a fighter, like, like the UFC is so clearly moving on without you. They are so fundamentally moving on without you. Right, because they have the right to do that, because they want to do that, and because if you don't do anything about it, they're going to conduct the business that they need to conduct, and every business on earth is going to do that. The UFC is hardly alone in that way. Um, they have certain objectives, they have certain realities, and they have certain um, missions they wish to accomplish, and they're going to use every legal um a potentially hardball tactic they want to get there because they can, and if you don't do anything about it, this is what's going to happen to you. You're going to sign away your likeness rights in perpetuity. You're going to have your sponsorship money—not um, for everyone. Some people will go up, but for many people, it will be, you know, diminished in some capacity. And then you're going to have this drug testing policy on you, foisted on you, which you may not necessarily like, and you may not necessarily like for the reasons that. You say, well, look, I, even if you're not sympathetic to the idea that there should be, you know, a weaker program, you should at least be sympathetic to the idea that, like, okay, if you're going to have this policy in place, global urine, blood, 365, seven days a week, 24 hours a day type thing, uh, I don't if it's 24 hours a day, but 365 anyway, right? So if you're on vacation, you might have some leeway of time to go and take a test or something, but... um, um you 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 should at least be like shouldn't that only happen if they're employees because if your employees well look man this is just the rules of the road oh but if your employees though you know there would be a social security taxes there would be um maternity leave there would be um some sort of retirement benefits put in place you know it would be it would be extremely expensive relative to having independent contractors to have you guys as employees you'd be subject to these tests right but uh, at least then you'd be like well fellas this is your employee and that's sort of how it goes but if you're an independent contractor it's just a harder argument for me to accept that um, that this level of control can be placed on you and you should just you should just accept it um, but they have that's precisely what they've done that is precisely what the fighters have done so like if you're a fighter out there and you're mad at the fact that you, you, you don't like the Reebok sponsorship program. Again, I understand that some like it, like just to Benavidez, this, acknowledging as much. Um, but if you don't like it, if you don't like the fact that you have signed away your, perpetuity, your, your likeness rights in perpetuity and you don't get a penny for them uh, off the video game, which you don't, if you don't like the fact that this anti-doping program is particularly stringent, um, then you need to ask yourself why you waited until this point to be mad about it. Because the UFC has a business to run. They are going to run it. They have a brand to protect, and they're going to protect it. This should not in any way be surprising, and they are going to move. The only way to assert yourself is to do so collectively after becoming an employee to collectively bargain. But they've done nothing, partly because they don't know how, but they've done nothing for all this time, and it has... uh, If you're a fighter, you must be looking at this and sort of like acknowledging the unequal balance of power. Well, it is an unbalance of power that you have directly contributed to. You have you have directly allowed it by because I I, I saw Brandon Schaub, who I like very much. You know, I saw him like him very much, Um, and he went like on Joe Rogan's podcast, being like, you know, I'm Team UFC, and maybe he believes that. And I think the UFC, to the extent that they do business together. Um, believes that like if we like to the extent that us UFC and fighter Brendan Schaub have overlapping interests when we do business together. Sure. We're all on the same team together, but do you really believe that UFC says all of Brendan Schaub's interests are all of our interests and all of his values are all of our values. They clearly don't because if they did, they would have changed his pay, especially and when the for the Reebok deal to match whatever he was making. And they didn't, they didn't, they believe that their interests while overlapping in certain capacities are non-overlapping in others, which is hardly controversial. That's the way the world works, you know. So if you guys think that all of your interests are directly aligned, maybe, maybe they are. Maybe some of you guys are like that, but clearly some of you are not. And um, since you seem so unwilling to do anything about it, this is this is the present you hath wrought. All right. Well, that said, let's get to some of these questions, shall we? Uh, If someone has some likelihood of brain damage and wants to fight knowing the risk, shouldn't they be allowed to? No. Someone says you can test, excuse me, you can random drug test contractors if it's allowed in the contract. It's standard with military and other subcontractors. Well, first of all, military, you're subject to the UCMJ. It's totally different than any kind of independent contracting thing. Moreover, the contract doesn't make it okay. You can challenge that contract. Like People seem to think that like contracts are like, well, you said it and you signed it, so therefore it's valid. It does not work that way. Even if someone signs it, the contract has to be in compliance with law, state and federal. And it may not necessarily be even if someone signs it. I don't know how many times we have to go over this. like People are like, I, mean, I wrote an article about the UFC uniforms, these Reebok uniforms that these fighters have to wear, saying, you know, I'm not saying that this in and of itself... Makes it employ- makes makes UFC fighters employees versus independent contractors, and I had so many guys write me being like, "Well, I'm an independent contractor and I wore a uniform." Do you understand that doesn't dispute the argument? Number one, it's not the use of uniforms or lack of uniforms that is the key signifier. It's one among many other things that may or may not work. You may have a situation where you do wear a uniform, but there may be all these other things that clearly identify you as an independent contractor, and therefore the IRS really wouldn't side or you know wouldn't identify you as such. Um, for the purposes of figuring out what you are, right? That could, that could, that, that's a clear thing. However, it is one of the key markers, among others, that it uses. Third, just because your employer or you're the person you're working for, if you're an independent contractor, tells you to wear a, uni- a uniform, doesn't mean they have a right to do that. But if you don't challenge it, <laughs> then it just winds up being something that works. Um and just saying it's part of being a UFC fighter does not at all answer what is the regulatory mechanism by which you have authority to do this. What is it? Because it seems to me for an independent contractor to have health insurance, um, um, to have this much control over the way in which they do business. For example, they have no like they have no say in how a fight is promoted or where. So the the way in which the work is done is controlled in that capacity anyway. Um, by UFC uh, now that they have to wear this sort of uniform. And again, it's not a, a, all the same thing, but the, the the articles of clothing are being told to do. You just get, you just creep up on this line where you're wondering what the tipping point is or if we've passed it or not. Like these are not idle questions. And now you have a sort of a regulatory mechanism in place where you're saying, um, you know, 365 uh, testing. Look, man, that's good. If you, uh, it seems like if you're a big fan of anti-doping, that's the kind of thing you want. I'm not here... To necessarily disparage that. um, But I'm just wondering where the legal framework is for someone who is not an employee, like how you actually do that. Uh, California employment law is um, I can't get into it. All right. Are UFC gyms open to fighters on the roster discounted? Could they use the network to expand today's program? Um, I don't know. I don't think so. But I don't I've not heard that. But I don't know. Maybe. Uh, with the UFC regulating what goes onto and into fighters' bodies, what is next? Regulating their carpet—that's um, his words, not mine. Do you think this new drug policy would have happened if the fighters had a union? Not even—not even a little bit. It never would have happened. Look at the—look at what the fight—look what the athletes' unions and the other leagues allow for. Like you wonder why the other sports leagues don't have the same level of testing? It's because the unions won't agree to it, in whatever their collective bargaining agreements are. They agree to some measures of testing, of course, but um, but not all of it. And you may say that's a bad thing, and maybe it is a bad thing, but it's the it's it's you at least have a situation where there are basic labor protections for those athletes, for the NBA basketball players or the NFL football players, and maybe that reduces the amount of anti-doping you can realistically get. But um, on the whole, you have a better protected, more equal system. Um, in this particular case, like Brian Stan, I think, was making an interesting argument. Brian Stan was on Twitter. and He was saying, look, are the penalties, even in, even in this brand new system we're about to start, are they a little too harsh for marijuana? Yes. But it's not possible to get one of these, like, really strong anti-doping organizations like USADA to come on board and do this larger comprehensive package without some concessions made. So, look, are these measures too punitive? Probably. Uh, related to marijuana for example but the bigger picture here is that it's it's that you you need this kind of anti-doping program and maybe he's right uh, I, you know ryan Sands is an incredibly smart guy i would then apply the same logic to this though i would say um you do get less anti-doping right with the nfl or um or major league baseball or something like that but those athletes are much better protected in terms of their uh long-term futures and their short-term gain and how they're treated both uh, by uh, the equality behind the law, so they can collectively bargain, by how much is made in terms of rev share in the league, all, all kinds of things. All right. Let's go to uh, some of the questions on the chat. Um, let's see. Vitor's test levels came from an article in a Brett Okamoto thing. It, I don't know why we keep talking about this. Uh, NSCC penalties. If these comically punitive changes... universally adopted i don't think they will be i think that whatever the ufc is doing is not going to be universally adopted would you still continue to press for increased testing and do you think the ufc will move forward with their stated intent to drastically increase randomized testing well we know the answer to that don't we bendo versus stun gun in korea does this fight make sense um it would be promotable given a ben henderson obviously his mother is korean um i don't know if he wants to continue going at welterweight though and it looks like i would say that um you know, a fight against Thatch was interesting because he's sort of hovering outside the space of the top guys in the sport. Stun Gun, I think, is ranked. So I don't know that that would be the best idea or the best use of his services. Fun fight, promotable fight, but I suspect they will use Stun Gun on a card and Bendo maybe in a fight at 155 again. Uh, thoughts on Darren Till. Only 22 and looked very impressive in a fight he took on short notice. Um, yeah, I was, that was funny that he spoke Portuguese. Yeah, you know, he had a really interesting, uh, totally um, not—I wouldn't say a lack of regard for the circumstances, but not overwhelmed by them. Didn't seem to have octagon jitters. Um, Fantastic finishing instincts. Um, Great all-around, or you know, good all-around game. Just certainly someone who didn't blow the doors off of me, but did enough for me to say this is someone to continually monitor their development. Uh, Mirsad Bektic spoke a lot about this in the Monday Morning Analyst. So I'd recommend going to that one. If I was king had authority and would like to make the rules of MMA without being questioned, what three rule changes would you introduce at today's presser specific to athlete health and performance? I'm not sure how instant replay isn't related to athlete health and performance. So I would make instant replay uh, a, you know, it's a longer conversation, but I would make a much more robust use. Um, I would slightly reduce some of the penalties that we have today. I would make marijuana blood testing um, mandatory and only mandatory. Like, I, like there's no so To me, like, if you're going to have in-competition testing for marijuana, the idea of even using a urinalysis is just a non-starter. Like, you're going to use blood tests, fine. And, again, I'm not going to fight them too much on this one, even though I think the penalties are ridiculous, because if they're going to use blood tests and use an in-competition window, I think we can all agree that that is like, okay, if you're getting caught on that, then, you know, you might actually have a substance abuse problem or using it for some other kind of purpose unrelated to, um, recreation. Okay. Something else. Uh, I don't know. I'd like to learn more about the UFC lab. It's a very intriguing idea. I want to see more about what they're doing there and what it all means. And, um, again, though, like, like what independent contractor on earth has their own gym and their own best practices and their own rehab facility. Um, this is obviously related directly to an athlete, so you know, it's a different scenario than someone else is an independent contractor for some other kind of purpose. But I just mean this amount of capital invested in them, um, with this amount of brand attached to them, with this amount of coverage attached to them in the form of health insurance, it just seems it just seems like we are teetering on the edge of uh, credulity here on the idea that these guys are independent contractors. Uh, reasons behind fighters not banding together. Uh, tried this last week and didn't get... Uh, blah, blah, blah. Luke, I was thinking about how often you mentioned fighters seem extremely selfish and unwilling to even attempt to collectively bargain. Uh, I was wondering, what is differentiating MMA fighters from those athletes in the country's top sports? Off the top of my head, there are three likely explanations. One, MMA as a sport and the UFC as an organization are very young in contrast to other sports leagues. Um, potentially, that's an argument. MMA is not a team sport. Although fighters train together in teams and camps, ultimately their success and failure is their own, not shared. I think partly there is an independent streak among fighters, but ultimately these are, these are look, if and when a fighters union is ever made, part of me feels like there will be one. All of these arguments are going to historically look ridiculous. I feel like I'm not belittling the question. I think you're actually trying to reason through why these things are happening. But I think that we put more emphasis on them than there actually are. If you could get an effective union organizer, and that's a big if, but that's essentially what happened in other sports. That like people who had the this vast experience in organizing and vast experience in um, organizing at a very high level for very high stakes, they essentially moved into sports. Uh, I don't think you've had that yet, to my to my knowledge. Um, and I think if you did and it actually succeeded, you'd just be like, you know. Uh, you know, oh, MMA's not a team sport. You'd look back and be like, so what? You know, it didn't. It didn't matter in the end. Um, and then, lastly, this is going to sound harsh, but MMA fighters in the whole are not as well educated as those in team sports. I'm not sure that's exactly. I'm not sure the facts bear that out. Certainly, they come from, in many cases, not all. Uh, in many cases, rough and disadvantaged beginnings. But many come from the collegiate wrestling circuit as well. So, which is a scholastic enterprise uh, almost entirely. Um, I'm not sure that's entirely true. Let's see. The Culinary Union. This may be a misinformed question, but is the Culinary Union an unlikely ally for the fighter lawsuit or fighters trying to unionize? Uh, I don't think they're in any way involved, but my guess is that they're probably sympathetic. Steel Cups. When will MMA make the Steel Cup mandatory? There are so many nut shots, something must change. Um. I don't know what the rule is. Are you even allowed to wear a tight steel cup in MMA? I think it has to be plastic, unless I'm mistaken. Um, the problem is, man, like this those plastic cups, they don't even work, dude. Like how many times have you ever seen someone get kicked in the balls in MMA and been like, nope, no worries, had a cup on, good to go? Like they, you've never seen that. Like, I, I guess cu- I've never seen a piece of equipment less, or I should say more worthless than a cup. It's like very, someone may get kicked in the balls and then, but they'll just be like, Oh, it barely touched me. They never get like a hard slam to the balls. And they're like, you know what? I'm good, man. I'm totally good. Every time they double over. And then, you know, if they're Alessio Sakara or Ryan Jimmo, they're dry heaving in a bucket. Uh, it's crazy. It's crazy. It's like the most worthless gear that you can possibly have. I, I would say that and you're going to laugh at me. I would say that they have to redo the underwear in some capacity. You know, um, people are like, "Oh, the Thai steel cups work." Do they? If you catch, if you catch a, if you catch one up the middle, do they really work? You know, and and what are you saying because it's steel that like you feel it less that it deters someone else? I'm not, I don't, I'm not sure that's true. Maybe it is. I don't know, but I believe. I, I think there might be regulation against using steel cups. Managers meeting. Do you know what the outcome of the fighters meeting, uh, managers meeting was in Vegas a couple of weeks ago? Yeah, you're looking at it. Nothing. How do you think a fighter's union would work? That's a long answer. Uh, all right, Dan Henderson. Hi, Luke. If Dan Henderson loses this weekend in dominant fashion, do you think he will retire? How do you see this fight playing out? His record of late is not good, right? He's lost how many in a row? A bunch. I dropped badly by uh, Musasi, right, in the last fight? Oh, yeah, he's done real bad. Um, so he's lost... One, two, three, four, five. He's lost five of his last six dating back to the Lyoto Machida fight in 2013, where he had a a, a year-and-a-half-long layoff after that ridiculous war with Shogun. So he lost to Lyoto, lost to Rashad. I forgot he even fought Rashad. Lost to Vitor, beat Shogun in a fight he nearly lost there, too. Lost to Daniel Cormier, and then lost to Gagar Busasi. Um... Yeah, if you lose six of your last seven, you're in trouble. I don't know that he will retire, although that's three in a row. Um, but we'll see. He's certainly at a point now where if you didn't just lose, but you got badly KO'd, that the USU would probably have some questions about your, um, you know, what, what it all means for you to keep going with this kind of damage and abuse to be taken like that. Uh, UFC women's divisions. Luke, do you agree that UFC should add a middleweight and light heavyweight women's division? No, that makes no sense. What makes Nevada, or excuse me, who makes Nevada the most amount of money? UFC in a calendar year, Station Casinos, or Floyd Mayweather, assuming he fights twice a year. If Floyd fights, he might make more. I don't know what kind of money Station Casinos brings in, uh, but Floyd might be the most. Certainly pound for pound Floyd's the most. I mean, they're moving the dude's jail time so he can fight to bring money on, an, on, a, on a financial calendar that is, you know, on par with their needs. Someone asks, look, the UFC is moving from the, uh, California to Nevada. Is this very significant? The UFC antitrust case. So, uh, look, it's a law case that is obviously, I'm not a lawyer, so, um, you know, take everything I say here and, and verify it on your own. But from what I understand, that it's not a great thing if you're the plaintiff. It's not some sort of a deal breaker. Also, uh, it's not a district court. That they moved into It's Still a federal court, as I understand it. So it's changed the equation a little bit. Nevada being a little bit more pro-business than California would be in this particular context. Um, it's you know they filed it. Look, they filed in California for a reason because they wanted the court case there. They would have filed in Nevada if it didn't make a difference. But ultimately, in the end, remember, like we, we define success or failure. Um, On how far they get i don't think this ever goes to a full-on trial one way or the other either because the plaintiffs fail or because the defense settles um that's that's my guess i don't think this ever goes the full distance so the question is how far does it get and what measure of victory does that look like if they if they somehow i think i think if all else fails if they somehow manage to get the the larger finances of zufa public so that fighters can see what portion they make and what portion Zufa draws and what the relationship is between the two, and they can see whether, how close it is to 50-50. You know, they can make some informed choices about uh, about their careers or not, or they can just continue to not organize, and the UFC will continue to do what they're doing, and the fighters will just you know live with it. Maybe that happens too, but at least you would know in some capacity what the actual rev split is. Um, is it on par with NBA? Is it on par with NFL? Is it on par with whatever? Like this new deal, right? Um, so, so someone made a point to me once. They're like, does Conor McGregor get any of the money from the new Irish TV deal? And I don't know the answer that they do, but I know this. When that new NBA deal kicks in, the billion plus dollar, it's a crazy deal that they got going on. Um, the new NBA rights deal. Let me see how much that NBA rights deal is worth. Let's see. It's an insane amount of money. Nine-year, twenty-four billion media rights deal. You know who gets money from that? The players. All their salaries are going to go up. Um, that because they're the they're, they're, they're able to negotiate on their behalf for that TV deal. Conor McGregor, uh, you know, to what extent that Irish TV deal happened as a consequence of him, I don't know. But at least it's something to consider and explore. And what I would say is when the next TV rights deal comes up for UFC, whatever that may be, do they re-up with Fox sports? Do they somehow move to NBC? Do they maybe move to ESPN? Don't you think fighters should get a cut of that? seems like fighters, I don't know why that's a controversial idea. Fighters should get a cut of that, right? Like if you're putting me on TV and you're selling ads against my, the content, I, I, I am content and you're selling ads against it. I should get a cut of that. I mean, how much of a cut? I don't know. Maybe not that much, but, um, as it stands, I don't, I don't think they get any of that. So this is why this is that argument people are like, no one cares about the prelim fighters. Well, in, in an ever increasing age of prelim fighters, I'm certainly somewhat sympathetic to the idea. However, if you're airing prelim fights on national TV and you're selling ads against it, you are, you are by definition negating your own argument. You are negating it. Here's content, here's content we are selling ads against. That content has value. <laughs> Besides any any other value that it may have, that a prelim fighter can become a, a, a you know a main card fighter and whatever else, many many arguments you can go into there. On that one argument alone, the, the argument dies. Anyway, it's so, you know twenty four billion nine year deal. You know the guys are going to get a cut of that. Does Conor McGregor get a cut of that of the deal in Ireland? I don't know. What do you think the UFC will realize there's too much UFC? This is his question, not mine. I love the sport, but it's impossible to keep up. A lot of cards don't seem interesting because I don't know 80% of the fighters. I understand they're a business, and they must grow, but damn, enough is enough. The time is now to hold their horses. Um, Well, this is this person's opinion, and we should acknowledge that there is a diversity of opinion on this issue, and I know that because I have long felt that there is too much content, um, and I have dealt with a barrage of responses from fans. So it would be um, unfair of me, to not acknowledge that there's a diversity of opinion here. There is a diversity, both in the sense that some feel this way and some don't feel this way. I don't think that they ever think that there's too much. I really don't. I think as long as they can monetize the content and as long as they can prevent competitors from getting footholds in key markets, both domestically and abroad, um, I don't think that they'll ever view that as too much, right? I mean, you look at the UFC Fight 968 card. There are a few good fights on there I acknowledge, of course. Um, I call that the UFC portion of the card. But beyond that, there's just a lot on there that you just look at and you say, this is this is not a product that UFC can exclusively put on, again, with some exception. Um, you know, Mitreone versus Rothwell is a, is, a, is, a, is a heavyweight fight you should acknowledge. Medeiros um, versus Poirier, um, same as much. Um Main event certainly. Dan Henderson's on his last legs, but is a you know Tim Boach, these, these are these are middleweights. I think worthy of some consideration on a on a, on a UFC card. Okay, fine. But um, you know, there's just a lot on that card that you simply. Uh, it's hard to understand how this is clearly different than the Bellator or world series of product, fighting product. Um, but I think that you know, unless consumers send some kind of widespread message with their lack of interest unless uh, and to some extent they have done that. I mean, I think the series, for example, the season of ultimate fighter is like dreadfully bad in the ratings. Um, so there's some measure of that, but I think as long as look, there's ne- there's networks out there internationally wanting to buy this stuff and pay a hefty rights fee for it. If they can do that and then they can make money in the live event itself, um, you know, by carrying that, which I still believe the UFC brand carries a ton of value, a ton of name. It's got a big spark to it still. Um, they'll just continue to do it irrespective of the concerns that you might have as a fan being like, I get the three or four fights on this card, but the rest I just don't get. Um, Unless there's a strong consumer response to challenge the, you know, prevailing notions about the quality uh, and the quantity of their uh, content, they will continue as such. Weidman versus blank. What is the holdup on the UFC designating the next title contender? I do not know. So it makes a good point, though. They need a Brazilian challenger to draw a big Las Vegas gate. All of the big Vegas gates feature prominent Brazilians. See so UFC 187, 148, 168, 183, and 189 in the title picture. If his next fight's at MSG, it's Rockhold. If it's at MGM, then it's Jacare. It's a better guess than mine. Jose Aldo. Now that the champ, Jose, is speaking out about the Reebok deal and wants a fighter union, fighters' union, How do you think the UFC feels about him speaking up and do you think he could actually start something? Well, he is certainly unique in the sense that it is the first time a champion has spoken up. And also, like, the language he used was rather forceful. Did you guys see that? He called it S. This is S. And he didn't say S. He said the four-letter S word. um, Which was, I mean, he went way out there. Um, Ultimately, though, you know, I don't know how effective it's going to be. You see some in the American fan base saying, well, Jose Aldo is boring as hell. I mean, the guy is the greatest featherweight of all time and somehow can't get a measure of respect. Some have suggested that, however, in a more, I think, measured example, if he loses to McGregor, his bargaining power, his leverage, is significantly compromised. I think that's true. Um, But from what I see from most fighters, their level of pushback and self-assertion is limited to um, the vocalizing of discontent. Uh, whether they engage in anything actionable, there's not much public known about that. If there's anything at all happening, um, again, this process is not easy. I would be oversimplifying and be like, "Go organize," like it's you know, like it's going down to getting a driver's license or something. It's not that simple. But at the same time, um, even Jose Aldo saying things like this, that it that has, it's not unimportant. But we would have to really couch the importance until. You know, couch the importance in what it is. It's just a dude being anti, just being vocal about things he doesn't like. Until until that changes, that's just all that it is. All right, Aldo's place in history. They call in me. Look, it has occurred to me that while Jose Aldo's career is comparable to guys like Anderson Silva, GSP, and John Jones, he is rarely considered in the greatest of all time discussion. What does he need to do to change this? He could change weight classes and have a similar similar level of dominance. Uh, several more years of dominance at the weight class might begin to change things. But you know, when you compete in a relatively new, historically new weight class, um, even as dominant as he is, and there, but that's a problem. I think the I think the there's been a commonality to the kind of challenges he's faced. Like one of the things that. Um, conor mcgregor's coach john Kavanaugh talked about was like you know you look at a lot of the guys he's faced not in totality obviously you know your hominics and your korean zombies are a little bit different but even even kenny florian tried to mix it up with him but definitely tried to make wrestling a big component you have two fights with chad Mendez. you have the ricardo lonis fight um you have the mike brown fight there's a lot of fights you have where he's been facing a lot of wrestle boxers um again i don't want to oversimplify it but that has been something that's been a you know a, a pretty common thing. And you know, one of John Kavanaugh's points is, and you may disagree, but I think it's a pretty astute point, is that, look, Connor's not going to fight him that way at all. Whatever else you think about Connor, he's not going to fight Jose Otto that way at all. He's going to fight Jose Otto in the way that he pleases, which is striking, come forward, and use his size and power as a way to back him up and, and, and among other things, make him pay. Um, he's not going to go out there and try to wrestle him against the fence and you know try to hand fight with him. It's not that at all. And so I think at a minimum, you should sort of say and acknowledge that while fighting Conor McGregor is not entirely unique, it does veer off a little bit from the more common trend of, and style of who Aldo has historically faced in that division. Let me get some water, because I've been going. Aldo, or excuse me, true or false? The Reebok uniform will make no difference to mainstream acceptance of overall MMA broadcasts. Uh, When you say no difference, that's a little bit of an absolutist line. I mean, look, here's what I would say. Um, So I'm going to say false for that one because I think you know, people. There was a look. Reebok is hardly some A plus brand. Let's just call it what it is. It's not Nike. It's not. It's not Adidas. It's not like it's not. I mean, I I mean, they realize there's an ownership stake there with adidas but it's not doesn't the same brand value you know what i mean and it's certainly not nike which is the giant uh and I, I don't i don't even know to what has the same brand value as under armor at this point uh in fact i put under armor firmly ahead of them so you know let's just be clear about what it is but it's not a negligible negligible brand either it's probably like a you know tier two brand but that's better than what they've had for a while you know i like Hayabusa's gear a lot. I, I, I think their gis are awesome. I think their fight shorts are awesome. But it's not a tier one or even tier two brand. It's not. So there's that. There is some measure of respectability there that is conferred upon it. It's, I think it's fairly marginal, but it, it, it's there. But the big thing for me, I think for the UFC, if, if you're the UFC, you're thinking, look, well, what, what is one thing UFC has historically um, struggled with? And I think by no fault of their own, In other words, it's not something UFC in particular is doing within MMA or within sports um, absent their product. Like, the the real issue is the UFC's product, right? It's fighting. It's cage fighting. I love it. You love it. I don't have any issue with it. In fact, I fully support it. But many people don't, right? So my point is that is the real limiting factor there. Um, And that's why they have struggled to get some of the sponsors that they want. And they've made some progress, you know. They've made progress in terms of, um, you know, they had, uh, I think and they, they may still have it like Dodge dealer, uh, Dodge car was, you know, a, a sponsor of theirs and they kind of have Nas Energy Drink, which I would not call uh, top of the food chain in terms of energy drink market or, or even Monster Energy either, um, but they're getting there. But when you look at like Metro PCS, like just being realistic about Metro PCS, is that even in the same ballpark as like an AT&T sponsorship or a Verizon sponsorship, or frankly, even a sprint sponsorship? Like it's not, it's not even, it's not even remotely close. Um, and I think what UFC is trying to do is they're trying to set up a system in place. And I'm frankly kind of sympathetic to it. They're trying to set up a system in place where what can we do absent just changing a product, Like they're not going to change it to chess. You know, it's not going to be the ultimate chess championship, or the ultimate hopscotch championship, it's still gonna be cage fighting. But if it's gonna be cage fighting, what else can we do to the product to then recruit and lure in these you know high level brands? What can we do? And I think one of the things they're thinking is if we can get um, a third party validator like Reebok, and then let's say, I've always made this example, I have no idea if there's even any possibility of it, but to get someone like Sony, If you can get Sony, well, you might be thinking, it's two different worlds, but if we can get Budweiser, Anheuser-Busch, or Bud Light, whatever, we got Harley, we got Reebok, now we got Sony, could we get Verizon? Could we do that? Do do we have Dodge? Do you have enough of a portfolio to create this cascading, ballooning effect where if you get just enough third-party validators, you can break through and get a lot more that you never had. And I think that what they're trying to do is create an environment to make that hospitable. Whether that will work, I don't know. Uh, and it would be nice to have a Verizon sponsorship. It would just be nice, I think, if you're on the other side of the argument to say, yeah, man, it would be nice to have Verizon sponsorship, to have Verizon on all the Reebok logos. It'd also be nice if fighters got a penny of that, which they won't. Um. Jose Aldo speaking out against the Reebok deal is certainly significant. True or false? True. The UFC will scale back the amount of shows they do in 2016. I think it will remain relatively flat, so I'll say false. We should expect more frequently monthly cuts by the UFC. Um, False. A union will be formed in 2016. False. The UFC's recent Hall of Fame revamp is an attempt to silence longtime influential fighters from speaking out against the Reebok deal and or other controversial policies. Uh, E.g., Root and Frank Trigg. I don't think so. It, it, it may have that effect. I don't know that that's the aim of it. I don't think so. No. I think they're actually, I think they know their Hall of Fame is uh, needed improvement. And they did. They improved it. I mean, they get, you know, we'll see if Frank Shamrock gets in there, but you get the idea. Conor McGregor speaking out about co promotion is his most, in his most recent interview with Oriel. Did, in fact, make Dana and company nervous. Probably not nervous, but it certainly got my attention. CM Punk, the only male fighter on the UFC roster that you think you could take? Someone says, uh, nah, probably Royston Wee too. Oliveira Holloway, do you think this fight makes sense right about now? Who would you favor? Love this fight. Was thinking about this fight the other day. I would frankly favor um, Holloway. I just think his ability to to work at distance is going to be a nightmare for Oliveira, who also stands ramrod straight. But I certainly, you know, in close quarters, man, Oliveira is a, is a nightmare to deal with. So um, I would favor heavily Holloway, but I, I wouldn't hate on this fight at all. Uh, Todd Duffy contender. People once thought Todd Duffy was inevitably going to be the next big thing in heavyweight. Now that he has a big fight with Mir years after those predictions, what are his chances of those of those ideas coming true? Look, I've been so wrong about Arlovsky that uh, I'm hesitant to say no one can't be. I would just say with Duffy, um, you know, we'll see. We'll see. I don't want to. I don't want to say anything more than that. Um, I thought his UFC comeback was cool. We'll see what happens if he can beat Frank Mir. And if he does, how he beats Frank Mir. I would never question. I wouldn't say I would never question. I would very much temper my own um, reservations in light of what Andre orlovsky has been able to do. I know that's not a very satisfying answer. But, you know, arlovskys I mean, this is what I mean when I say, like, Arlovsky changed things. His turnaround is so amazing and so unexpected, not just for me, but for many people that you really sort of say, well, is this person really out of it? I don't think we should lose some of our cynicism, but I think our sort of shows that some of our cynicism is just way over the top. Uh, One more question here, then we'll go to the Twitter machine. Someone says, four fight main cards. Luke, I've been watching a lot of PBC, HBO Boxing, and Bellator lately. One thing I noticed that their main cards are two hours. It's a much more enjoyable experience as a viewer than the marathon of garbage and filler that is a UFC television card in 2015. His words, not mine. These cards start at a reasonable hour and get over at a reasonable hour. Shocking concept, I know. When will Fox move these UFC cards into a more palatable format for viewers? I can't be alone in thinking that a a five-and-a-half-hour TV card is way too much to watch for such mediocre action. These Fight Night cards are becoming must-DVR under no circumstances watch live action. Well, let me say personally speaking, unrelated to this gentleman's opinion, um, they are much easier to watch on DVR. I mean, it is a totally different experience. Um, now this person from fight metric makes a point. He says, just my mildly educated opinion that will only change when the stipulations of the contract between the UFC and Fox sports change as it stands. The UFC is contractually obligated to provide X amount of live events per year and Y amount of broadcast content. The Fox deal really stretches the UFC thin, but really gives Fox cheap and abundant programming. So when does the Fox deal expire? When do they begin to renegotiate? Yeah. Um, yeah, the two-hour-plus two, two hour plus broadcast window for combat sports is, like, perfect. And if you think about it, if you buy a UFC pay-per-view, that's basically what you get, right? You get you may get up to three if it goes late, but, you know, uh, that's the most. Like, that's the total most, right? So it's 10 p.m. You have your five fights slated for a main card on pay-per-view. Dude, you're in business like that. Maybe a title fight, maybe two title fights. It's great. Like, that's the perfect time. Um, I like Tours, you know, two-hour window, two-hour and some change window, um, same with HBO as well. That may be two two fights for that. PBC, I think you get two, maybe three fights with that, depending on the cha- on the station and the and the card. But um, you get the idea. Yeah, here I mentioned it before, man. I hope to God it changes in the next thing. Look, I understand why Fox does what they do. Fox Sports One, because it's a, I like Fox Sports One. I watch it a lot, man. I, I have a lot of very positive things to say about what they're doing over there. I love their Champions League coverage. I, I do like their UFC coverage. I like that they have a desk with Dominic Cruz and I like when Brian Stan is doing commentary and I like Kenny Florian a lot. I mean, this is this is this is good stuff. This is not stuff that's bad. Um, the problem is they take good stuff and they go like that with it, you know. They go like that with it. I mean, you have you have a product um in you, you in like, UFC the live events are where Fox Sports 1 gets the ratings that really put it on a on a visible platform or visible plane, you can say, wow, look at these numbers, you know? And when UFC or NASCAR or MLB, you know, posts, uh, um playoffs aren't on there, the ratings are relatively, or not relatively, they're, they're very, very low. When the ratings are on, they're very, very high. Actually, when the when the events are on, the ratings are high. So they have this massive incentive to make these events drag at the consumer experience. You're sitting there being like, oh my God, When are they going to get to this main event? They're going to get to the main event at the absolute latest time possible because you're going to sit around, you're going to watch anyway, and they're just going to drag it out. Like, you know, you know, you know, you know that if you have a Fox Sports 1 card, the main event is not starting before 1 a.m. It's just not. or like right at 1 a.m. or something like that. It's just not. It's just not. It's just not. It's just not not going to happen. You know, 12.45 maybe. But my point being was if there were – there's six fights in the main card, which is already too many. And if every fight was a first-round knockout, you know what they would do? They would not rush to the main event. Even if it's in a place like Brazil, where like the, the main card is starting at like 11 p.m. You know what they're going to do? They're going to throw it back to the studio. They're going to show you a UFC preview for the next pay-per-view. They're going to drag that sucker out as long as they possibly can that's what they're going to do because they want as much time on the air with a live event that produces ratings like UFC content does as they can. And what that does is it creates just a painful experience for the consumer, even with great fights, great studio analysts, great commentators. That tells you how bad the pacing is. You've got got state-of-the-art production. You've got amazing analysts. In the case of last weekend when you had uh, Anik and... um, uh, Stan, you had, I mean, I, that's my favorite team in all of MMA commentary. And, you know, I don't think the card was great, but you at least had at least at the top of the card um, some great fights. And Brian Stan does a good job of making even a bad fight sound better than it is because he's so good. Um, and even with all that, the pacing is like, oh, my God, how many Fram ads can I possibly see before, you know, my eyeballs just incinerate, right? They have an, ince- they have an incentive to hold you there. So unless you fight back on them, again, unless you send a consumer response that that's not something you're willing to tolerate, they're going to keep doing it. In association with Zufa, Luke, what did you make of Connor's uh, Connor's interview with Ariel? I thought it was very good. I did too. He makes a lot of good points. It is actually more intelligent than I had previously thought. My two favorite points were fighters complaining about pay and then having nothing to back up their arguments with and also how he envisions working with UFC as opposed to for the UFC. Overall, your thoughts. Yeah. Um, Yeah, that was really funny. So when the whole Rampage Bellator thing went down, which, by the way, folks have forgotten about, it's not over. I mean, I don't know what they're going to do, but my guess is if they try and book up another fight, there's going to be another preliminary injunction fight. Who knows what's going to happen? But this war is not over. Um, Okay. So I spoke to a bunch of different lawyers for that, and they all had different takes. Some of them were very familiar with MMA. Some were not very familiar with MMA. So that's why I was trying to get like a diversity of opinion. But universally, I won't say universally, but many of them brought the concern that if you look at Rampage's Bellator contract, right, well, one, of, one, of, one of Rampage's problems was, you know, it wasn't promoted properly. But the, but the contract he signed with, um, with, with Bellator and Viacom, Says that promoter will have essentially the exclusive right to promote how and when it sees fit. In other words, the athlete has zero say over how the fight is promoted. None, zero. You have you if you want to put the, you want you want to put that fight in Hawaii, you can put it in Hawaii. Now you may lose money on that, but you know the 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 and obviously you know Bellator and Viacom argued that we have overlapping interests in terms of making money. We put that fight just outside of Mississippi, you know, as a means of not just as a payment, uh, not in financial payment, but as like a reward for Rampage Jackson, but because we believed he could draw at the gate there, right? But he had no right. And people say, well, I would hate to see the boxing method of fights being made. And I guess I would too, you know? But I will say this, Mayweather doesn't fight in places without his consent, and neither does Canelo, and some other ones as well. Because they set up their own promotional companies, Now, Mayweather Promotions is a little bit more sophisticated than some of the other ones. But a lot of times, you just see some, like, basic, you know, con promotions or something, a mere con promotions. That's just enough of a promotional entity so that they have a say in how a fight is promoted and where and what it's supposed to look like, you know. Um, That's good. That's good for the athlete. They should have a say. They're They're the ones risking brain injury. They shouldn't have a say. Maybe. Maybe the headliner should have a say. Uh, how much of a say you couldn't debate, but, like, I don't know why this idea is so controversial, that a fighter should have a say in how his fight is promoted. Why not? Why not? If you're, if, you know, if you're the making a UFC debut, you could create so much of a logistical nightmare that giving that person a say just makes the product dissolve. Okay, we're not, we're not expressing that. But if you're the top of the card and you're, you know, a champion and a pay-per-view headliner and a big star why shouldn't Ronda Rousey have a say? Now, she, she's not going to express that because, um, you know, I think she prefers a method of working where she works in tandem with UFC as much as possible. And that's fine. It works for her. It works for them. I'm not here to hate on it. If it works, do what you do. But if you're somebody like Conor McGregor and you're already thinking, I want to work in co-promotion with them, MMA fans have been, like, you know, tuned in to say, you know, co-promotion is so terrible. Um, and certainly there are examples where it can be. But if you're not going to have a fighter's union and the only real way a fighter has labor protections is to establish his own promotional company and to use the free market to make organizations, you know, um, bid for his services, then that's that's better than the alternative. It's better than just being like, I'm just going to do what everyone else tells me to do. They shouldn't have to do that, man. These guys are risking profound injury, profound injury. They should have a little bit of say in how that injury takes place. Let's go to the Twitter machine if we can. Uh, Luke, would you a- even consider being part of a union for fighters? No. No, I wouldn't. I'm a journalist. I don't get cut a check to like um, protect the interests of fighters. I get cut a check to cover the sport and to, to the extent possible, prevent information, or excuse me, present information um, in the most honest and forthright way that I can. Would it help the oversaturation problem if you have more clearly defined what a pay-per-view is? Maybe have four major events a year. No, just have fewer events and fewer fighters. It's a very easy problem to solve. It's disappointing Rumble Johnson didn't turn out to be a Tyson-esque wrecking machine to challenge Jones. Um, I'm not sure exactly what that means. I think after the Cormier loss, fairly or not, there is something of a, there is something of a belief. And again, I'm not here to say it's fair, but I hear, I am here to say it's there that Johnson is basically a better version of himself, which is that, you know, where, where Johnson used to be called crumble, you know, uh, I don't think people are saying he's as, Fragile in that sense as he once was, but I think what they are saying is the degree it's, it's not, a, he's not a difference in kind, he's a difference in degree. Uh, Jesus, breaking news Chuck Blazer says he and other FIFA executive committee members agree to accept bribes. Damn, y'all are all going to jail. <laughs> Whoa, um, you know, like. He has, he's bigger now, Anthony Johnson. He has bigger power now. Um, his striking is better now. And his takedown defense is actually better now. But if you can still basically, you know, uh, lob the same game at him, that gave him problems before, but be a little bit sharper about it, you know, have the kind of striking defense that you need, have the ability to take a shot that you need more so than you used to, um, you could still basically do the same things. I'm not so sure that argument is exactly correct. But I don't think it's entirely wrong either. Um, there is, there is, seems to be some some merit to it. Uh, the water code has a three strikes policy, so fighters can miss two tests, cycle off, and not be punished. Any solution to this? I believe that the UFC policy is the same way. Um, I, I think there is plenty of. Um, I think that I think the current system in place is plenty punitive uh if you co-promote do you put money in and assume risk if the card is a flop it depends entirely on the negotiation sometimes you do sometimes you don't let's see do you want to see prime time what Oh, do you want to see primetime come back to help grow UFC? Uh, Luke Rockhold versus Chris Wyman, John Jones-Champ versus... Uh, I don't know, champ versus Jessica Aguilar and DC versus Jones all on New York. Uh, yeah, if they could get the proper placement for it, like if they could run UFC primetime on Big Fox, that would be awesome. But as we know, they can't run on Fox Sports 1 because it just doesn't draw the same ratings To give it the same return on investment, which is an unfortunate place for UFC because it is such a quality product, but it's just unfortunate. Um, If wearing Reebok isn't in a fighter's current contract, could a fighter sue or get out of their contract? I don't know. What boxer do you now think would do the best crossing over into MMA and vice versa? I don't know who would do the best, but I can tell you that the favorite boxer among MMA fans at this point is pretty, pretty clearly uh, Gennady Golovkin. Uh, he is he is widely revered. MMA fighters, uh, MMA fans, really, they like the boxer who can punch the hardest. Now, it's, it's obviously, they like more than that; they like guys with skill too, and Golovkin has some. But but that dude who can thump, man. That's what the MMA fighters, uh, MMA fans love. Let's see. Will UFC 188 decide the best gym in the world? Hi, Luke. After UFC 188, one gym will have two UFC legit champions, either Kings MMA or AKA. Has that ever happened before? Besides Nova Uniao and Aldo and Barao, do you think this is a good metric, i.e., number of champions, to decide which is the best gym? Uh, I wouldn't say after two, but after three. Like if if Rockhold can get a fight against Wyman and beat him, and Kane wins, and then you got DC, so then you have your middleweight, you have your are they pre- yeah, you have your middleweight, light heavyweight, and heavyweight champion of the world all in one gym. Damn, that is unbelievable. Uh, is Matt Mitrione a dark horse contender if he beats Ben Rothwell? Uh, do you think he wins that fight? Is that is that the win that finally puts him in the contender conversation? Uh, contender potentially yes. Um uh we'll, we'll have to see how he beats Ben Rothwell but I imagine that one's gonna be on the feet. The question you have to ask yourself is anybody who wants to challenge with the elite elite has to have the wrestling and scrambling um either against Stepe or on the ground against Verdoom or the all-around package against Velazquez, right? You gotta be able to beat any of those guys. And if you can't, then you're in trouble. Because we all know on, on in heavyweight striking is Insanely important because those guys have power and they can, they have long reach and all that kind of stuff. But more than that, you have to have those other elements. Your scrambling has to be on point. Your wrestling has to be on point. Your sub defense has to be on point, or your your sub ability has to be on point. And if any of that is kind of lacking, and maybe it was a mitreon I think you know Shaw put him to sleep um, with a gator roll from an anaconda choke, I, b- I believe, that or a Dars. I forgot which one. Um, you know, there might be some issues there, but we'll see. Is it okay to get excited about seeing Cain Velasquez again? I've been hurt so many times before. Let's just wait till he's on fight week. Let's just wait till he's on fight week. Scott Coker, era of Bellator. How do you feel about the current state of Bellator? How have the ratings been since Coker took over? Do you feel like these once-a-month shows have had any kind of momentum that Bellator may have had with the success of Bonner Ortiz? What changes other than dropping the tournament format have really been made? Could they be exactly where they are now or further? If Bjorn had been uh, under Bjorn, if he had been given on, if Bjorn, if he would have given in on the tourneys. well, he wasn't going to give in on the tourneys. Um He was planning changes. Remember the pool they were going to have, the contender pool, where like if you win a tournament, are you automatically in this new pool where you don't have to fight any more tournaments? Um, so, the, but the tournaments were still going to happen. So, you know, I don't know what would happen under Bjorn. Um, I could tell that you know the folks. My understanding, my read on things is that I think the people at Spike are happier now. I think you know Bellator's had some leadership change, but um, the fighters are certainly happier about it now. I just don't think Rebney worked as well with Spike as as Coker does. Um, so there's that new difference. But you know, it's an interesting question, and it's and it's. I think I'm going to the the Kimbo versus uh, uh, Shamrock fight, and um, if if and when I go. I would like to be able to ask Scott Koker this question because I think there's a lingering belief. It's like, okay, you got rid of the tournament format, which we thought was a big hindrance. Um, there has been some development on the roster, but two of the biggest signings that haven't even materialized yet, Ned Ruth and Aaron Pico. You did get Phil Davis. Okay. Um, but they took CM Punk from you, however possible that was. They took, uh, you know, Micro Krokop, however possible that was. You lost the Rampage thing, which was not something he had signed. It was a problem that he had inherited but it happened under his watch fairly or unfairly. And so I think there's a, there's a question there about, and look at the numbers now. Like, yes, they had the success with, with Bonner-Ortiz, or and that was a bit of a high-water mark. But the average show on Bellator on Friday night, the ratings are not better noticeably from what um, Remney did. Now, maybe the analytics are more closely monitored by Spike, and they would tell me that, you know, there are ten or 20,000 or 50,000 more people watching her whatever the case may be, but they're not markedly different. And I think that one of the things I've detected, now Scott Coker has never told me this, but one of the things I've detected is that I think he feels like, I know he said differently otherwise, but I I feel like when I speak to him, this is just my read on things. Let me be clear about that. The read I get is that he feels like Rebney handed him an organization in disrepair. They have the functionality to go to all these different cities week after week after week after week after week, after week. Um, and that was cool. But in terms of just a roster that was, you know, capable of delivering the, the hits, it just wasn't there. And I think it's been slow going and changing. That they've made some, you know, they made some cuts, but um, and they've signed some new guys, but it hasn't been you know, it's slow going, it's really slow going. It's really, really, really slow going in that regard. Um, and so there was some belief, and I think I will, I'll, I'll cop to being wrong about this. I thought that if they did one show a month and then they did that, you know, the um, the temple event, that one show a month would do better ratings because remember what they were doing before was like eight weeks straight, show, 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 show. show. And you were like, my God, this is too much, You know, this is nuts. Um, it turns out even when they space them out like that, if the show doesn't have anything special, the spacing of it doesn't matter anymore, right? In other words, if it's not a tentpole event, or it's not a very special Friday night event, because I think the Kimbo fights on a Friday night, um, then you can have them eight in a row, or you can have them, you know, one every other week, or one every three weeks. Doesn't change the ratings, and I, I kind of I, I didn't get that part right. Um, so I think what that tells you is that the, the roster is problematic. The roster is problematic. You know, um, it's not a horrible roster, but it's not a great roster, and it's a roster in transition. And I think you know, look, the Kimbo Shamrock fight—why was it booked? they they are not booking that fight because they're trying to act athletically understand anything. They're not trying to adjudicate some kind of dispute about heavyweight supremacy. It's a fight that Coker made, I think, because he understands passion for celebrated figures. Then I may dies very hard. People still very much like Kimbo. I think Ken Shamrock has sort of come around again to people in some capacity anyway. And it's a fight designed to produce TV ratings. That's first and foremost, what it's about that it may produce action is an ancillary benefit, but it's not the direct aim. Um, but when you look at the challenges that Bellator has in the in the larger sense about its roster, about what you know, the, how much stuff that Revni had signed that's really of non-essential value, or this doesn't do much in terms of moving the needle, you begin to realize that, like, look, I'm not here to ever tell you that that Kimbo Shamrock fight is going to be awesome. I don't think that it is. Um I, I don't see how it can be. Uh of course I didn't see Orlowski come coming, so we could all be wrong about it. Watch it go out and be amazing or something. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how what happens. But I think with the real the real pushes here is like they had to design a fight that could produce something meaningfully in the in the ratings. And um there is so much of that roster, so much of that roster that can't or doesn't do that. And so when you do that, when you, when you re- so to realize what you've got, is like, I, gotta, I got so many, many talented you know, young men and women here, and hardly any of them matter in terms of ratings. Hardly any of these matchups matter in terms of ratings. Uh, so we need to fix that. We need to fix that. Um, and we'll see what he does um, you know, in 2016 and 2017. But the, if you've noticed slow change, I think one was that everyone was kind of wrong about the pacing being a you know a benefit. Um, but the other part is that that roster just needs massive upgrades and until they can get that fixed, I think they're always going to be in this kind of position. Let's see. Chris Weidman recently said that Jacare is a more dangerous fight than Rockhold. Do you agree or disagree? Um, is it a more dangerous fight for Chris Weidman? Maybe on the ground because he doesn't feel like he'll have the same advantage there. But on the feet uh maybe because of the speed of Jacare, i'd have to ask him why uh, melendez versus alvarez look i'm really looking forward to this fight and i'm a big fan of both how interested are you in this fight and who do you think will win i like melendez to win um and i think it'll be a very 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 much more closely contested fight partly because alvarez i think still has a lot of life left in him and melendez i think is a little bit on the downswing Go back to Twitter real quickly. If Canelo fought GGG, who would win? I don't know, but I can tell you, MMA fans would want to uh, would want to sign uh, or want to see GGG win. And it'd be better for boxing. Well, maybe a bit of boxing if um, GGG won. Let's see. Luke, do you think Ronda will finish Betch in the first round? Yes, I do. Uh, McGregor recently spoke to Ariel about his training camp being like boxing training camps where everything is focused on him. What do you think of this approach? We know the approach is is fantastic. And do you think if guys like Cain Velasquez had these camps, he'd be injured less? Well, I got quoted a figure on how much... um, I got quoted to figure out how much Conor McGregor is spending on this. It is an astronomically high amount. So I can see why other people wouldn't do it. It's it's in the, uh, yeah, it's in the five figures, deep five figures per month is what I got quoted at. So, you know, you begin to do a little bit of math on that. And you can see why at that rate per month, maybe some guys don't want to do that exactly. Okay, we have to go, but... There'll be plenty of coverage about the UFC press today, about anti-doping, about the UFC lab, about Exos, about Fusionetics, about all that stuff. And you can catch it all, of course, on MMAfighting.com. I will be running desk on Saturday for UFC Fight 968, Tim Boach versus Dan Henderson. There's a, there's a World Series of Fighting on Friday. Who knew about that? Uh, and best of all, there's an MMA beat tomorrow. I'll be on that as well. So lots of good stuff coming your way. Some bad stuff, but hey, that's how life goes. Until then, you can email me at thomas at sbnation.com. I'm on facebook.com slash luke t sports and on Twitter at sbn. Luke Thomas. Until next time, stay frosty.